Gospel reading today is from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. Lazarus has died and been raised. Lazarus and Martha and Mary have invited Jesus to their home for a meal out of deep gratitude. Mary anoints Jesus' feet with her hair, filling the air, the whole zeitgeist, with the fragrance of her perfume and gratitude and love. Judas complains. Why use money for this luxury? There are poor to be fed. Jesus teaches them that it is for his burial. His death is imminent, and he wants them to live in the moment. Appreciating Lazarus' return, Jesus' own presence, and each other in this very tender moment. The sense of the fragility of life is never more present than when we experience the death of a loved one or know that our own death is inevitable. Having experienced a pandemic in which almost all of us know someone whose life was cut short by that virus, most of us have been really rethinking what is important, how we spend our time, what we want to spend our precious time and energy on, who we want to be with after having been subjected to this terrible isolation. It is a poignant moment to acknowledge our fragility and extend mercy to ourselves and to one another for falling short. We're rediscovering the need to spend much more time going deep 
rather than wide, overextending ourselves until we forget to savor life. When I was in Connecticut last weekend for that educational workshop, I was looking over a book by Mark Nepo, and I was gazing out over the beautiful ocean. Mark Nepo says, in the same way that watching the surface of water can be mesmerizing, and yet it does not reveal what waits below, the busyness and drama of the world can keep us from going below the surface in the very moments that are ours to enter. He says, in my life I have known truth and beauty and peace to be ever-present companions that I often sit beside bemoaning their absence. They're always there. But sometimes we don't take advantage and go deep. I find it poignant that this scene where Jesus reminds his disciples of the precious time they have left with one another takes place in the house of Lazarus, whose return to life must still feel dramatically fresh. Death is in the air as Jesus reminds them that he too will die. But it is shared in the context of the promise of new life. Can we dare vulnerability here in our church family, sharing what really matters with one another in the very house where resurrection is what we proclaim? Or are we guarded, sharing only what feels safe. Emerson Powery says Mary's act is intimate as she wipes Jesus' feet with her own hair. Only this Gospel of John depicts one of Jesus' cherished friends as the anointer. Mary's act also touches other senses because the anointing action is a reminder that death, a description found only in John, touches even the nostrils where the scripture says this house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The preparation for death should provoke our senses. Within the narrative, the smell of the ointment replaces the stench of Lazarus' death just a few verses prior. Lent is a time to remember that death is always in the air. To die is part of what it means to be human. Time within a pandemic is an unfortunate daily reminder of our collective human frailty. When death strikes close to home, most of us are not fully prepared for the passing of loved ones. Yet John 12 is a reminder that death will not have the final word. Lazarus is a reminder of that promise, even though his human body will die again. The ointment is a reminder of that promise. The people who gathered for another meal are a reminder of that promise. The prepared, anointed body of Jesus, of course, is the ultimate reminder of that promise, that death will not have the final word. For those of you reading Kate Bowler's devotional book, Good Enough, next Tuesday's devotion is called Hello, Goodbye. And it is germane to this concept of impending death, of Jesus' own goodbye. So I'd like to read it aloud for you, especially those who are not participating in this study. So these are Kate Bowler and co-author Jessica Ritchie's words. 
A life is made up of so many beginnings and so many endings. We start new jobs and we leave old ones. We move to new cities and leave our childhood hobbies in our parents' basements. We become new people, slowly. Friends and relationships come and go. Hopes appear and then they fade away. If you are under the lovely illusion that you haven't changed, pull out an old diary or clean a messy closet. What's that? You once devoted your life to scrapbooking every memory with a custom laser printer? You used to run cross country? We are different and so are the people we loved. Try writing down the names of your closest friends from five or 10 or 20 years ago. Who were we? And why didn't anyone tell us to stop massacring our eyebrows? The strangest part of change, I suppose, is how it occurs as a series of small funerals. We lay our dreams to rest. Goodbye, love. You lit up my world. Goodbye, job. You were the mold that I poured myself into. Goodbye, self. I need to let go now, and I can hardly begin to try. They go on to write, a friend is changing jobs, and she finds herself crying over a small thank you email from a colleague. I hope this work mattered. But if I had been treated better, could I have stayed? Another has discovered that her marriage is ending and there's nothing she can do. She says, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but I can barely get out of bed. Those two are struck trying to account for two simultaneous truths. A world I loved is ending and it happens every day. I have many delightful friends, the authors say, who try to solve the sorrow inherent in change by giving it up entirely. Routines become a bulwark against the threat of pain. They brush their teeth at dawn, they watch Jeopardy right before dinner, and there had better be an encroaching hurricane if you're calling on the phone. They vacation in the same spot, and they have some very unchristian feelings about people who sit in their pew or take their treadmill at the gym. But suffering, explained the author C.S. Lewis, is the order of nature. Avoid it and you will find that you've squeezed out life itself. Six months ago, they go on, a new good friend discovered that her partner was unfaithful and that their marriage was over. Her son would have to say goodbye to spaghetti dinners, to road trip harmonizing and his bedroom with the stickers on the door. She would be leaving behind a high school romance, a decade of friendship, the smell of his salty skin at the beach, and immeasurably more. As a new mother and son duo, they would have to say hello to a new life, a new school district, new friends, new habits, and the courage to climb a ladder to clean the eaves of an aging new home in the spring. When they spoke to her recently, we noticed that the unthinkable had happened. Everything had changed. She had learned to do basic plumbing. She even had a date scheduled on Friday. And she still cries when making spaghetti because family dinner is not what it is supposed to be. 
Her approach to change mirrors much of what Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck describes in her now classic work, Mindset, the New Psychology of Success, comparing a fixed versus growth mindset. A fixed mindset assumes that wherever we are, a certain composite of personality, intelligence, abilities is a given. Every new challenge becomes a moment where you simply prove yourself again and again as being that particular person, dumb, smart, winning, losing, etc. A growth mindset, conversely, imagines that we are not static creatures. We can change, and we do. We flex and grow, fall back or bounce forward, but we are not simply the aggregate of whatever we have been. Not every change is going to be a transformation, but every change can be an opportunity for grace. That divine approval that God doles out regardless. Did we become better or worse? Holier or crustier? Softer or quicker on the draw? God will show up regardless, silently pouring forgiveness and encouragement into our two open hearts. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift.